The Lord has done great things in January. Hallelujah. He did it in February. He did it in March, April, May, June. Hallelujah. July, August, September. And he will do it again. He will complete October. Hallelujah. And then he will do it in what? And then he will do it in what? And then we will we'll be here when? January. Hallelujah. The Lord has done great things. Hallelujah. And he will continue to do great things. Amen. 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 It is my privilege and joy that today we have a young, dynamic elder. Hallelujah. He visited, he's visiting us from New Haven. Amen. He was here. You know, when, when I called him, I was like, I don't think I've met you before. It's like, oh, you met me. <laughs> Last year when we had a Christmas convention downstairs, um, and then the youth, most of the youth and pencil, he came to join us for the Christmas convention. So it is with great joy and honor that we have our one and uh, a very young, so I, I don't know how, what age did you become an elder? I mean, it's, I, I, you know, when, so I never pictured it was him. <laughs> Amen. I'm picturing somebody with beard like mine getting gray. Amen. Amen. But by God's grace, we are privileged to have Ada Juma. Let's give him a round of applause as he comes to the podium. Amen. says where two or more are gathered in his name there he is in our midst yes lord this morning the lord is present among us amen the lord is here with us the spirit of the living god oh you have come to mount zion and you have come to the the, the living god you have come to the, the company of angels yes lord oh you have come to fellowship with the saints of god yes lord Rain Jesus Jesus Oh our heavenly Father Oh God Oh God Oh God our hearts are humbled before you this morning. Oh Lord, we pray that you reign in our hearts, oh God. Oh, as you promised to your prophet Ezekiel, that in the last days, I will take away any stubborn and stony hearts and I will replace with a heart of flesh, a heart that will be responsive to my word. 
Oh, I pray this morning that you humble any hearts, oh God, that you melt every heart, oh God, that you replace any heart of stone with a heart of flesh, oh God, a heart that will be responsive to your word. Oh, Heavenly Father, we praise thy name, oh God. Oh, we praise thy name, oh God. We sing of your goodness, oh Lord. We sing of your goodness, oh God. That, oh Lord, you have had mercy upon us. That you have saved us, you have rescued us from the hands of the enemy. And you have guarded us before your presence. That, oh, not only that, but you have filled us with your spirit, oh God. Oh, that day when Solomon dedicated a temple... The Spirit of the Lord descended and he prayed that, Oh Lord, will God indeed dwell on earth? Even the heavens cannot contain the Lord. How much more a temple that I have built with my hands. But, Oh Lord, you honored him and you filled the temple. But not only that, Oh God, but in these last days you have filled our hearts even with your word, Oh God, and even with your spirit, Oh God, that the whole heavenly host is dwelling even in our hearts, Oh God. Oh, Lord, we are so grateful. And we are so mindful, oh God. We will always give you grace and adoration, oh Lord. We thank you this morning. Oh, minister unto us, oh Lord. And speak to us in Jesus' mighty name. Let us shout, Amen. Amen. Oh, praise the Lord. Oh, I'm not feeling you this morning. Praise the Lord. Oh, I thought this was PIWC filled with youth. Praise the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. We thank God so much for this morning. It is a privilege to be with you. And I thank God so much for the opportunity that he has presented before me to fellowship with you this morning. I thank, also want to extend thanks to our pastor for uh, giving me this opportunity and our presiding elder for also accepting me to uh, come and share the word of the Lord with you. Today, I want us to take us back all the way to Genesis. I want us to understand the beginning of man. And I want us to uh, shed light into why we find ourselves in a world like this. Why is human nature the way it is? Why are you the way you are? You know? And I want us to also understand what the enemy tried to do way back in the garden. And in the same way, I would like us to understand what Jesus Christ has offered and what God has offered a solution to the problems of man. You see, what we, you know, many people have this idea that the Old Testament is too old and have nothing to teach us. But I'm here to tell you that, you see, everything that we see around here has its origins in the Old Testament. And the Old Testament has so much to teach us today. And so I want us to open our Bible to Genesis chapter 3. Today we are going to consider the story of the fall of man, the fall of man, the fall of man. I love this story. It's a very fascinating story. If you haven't really spent time to study it, I encourage you to do it. And I'm going to give you some talking points or some thinking points uh, for you to consider in your, in your studying. So from this chapter, we will, we will understand the enemy's activity. We also understand man's folly, the foolishness of man. And we also understand the world as it is today. You see, God creates a perfect world. He creates a perfect creation. He created everything. He said, it is good. Perfect environment. He creates man and puts man in this perfect environment. But as we go on to read and then we're going on to find out, 
God makes a command and tells Adam and Eve to obey the command. And the Bible makes us understand that man, even in a perfect environment, wasn't able to obey that command. He listened to the deceptions of the enemy, and then man fell. And the Bible says that God made provisions for man. So this is kind of like the overview of what the story entails. And it's interesting because what we, we see in Genesis chapter 3 unfolds throughout the rest of the Old Testament to the New Testament to the end of Revelations. And so it's a very interesting. And so I would like us to read everything so that we can be able to follow uh, the story. Genesis chapter 3, the fall of man. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he, held, and he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree desirable to make one wise, she took of his fruit and ate. She also gave it to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Verse 11. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you shall not eat? Then he said, the woman who you gave to me uh, to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? Then the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than the, uh, every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. You shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your, conception, uh, and, and your conception. In pay you shall bring forth children, your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat it, curse is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Till you return to the ground. For out of it were you taken. For dust you are. And to dust you shall return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve. Because she was the mother of all living. Also for Adam and his wife. The Lord God made tunics of skin. And clothed them. Then the Lord, said to, uh, the Lord God said. Behold the man has become like one of us. To know good and evil. And now lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed cherubim in the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Amen. The first one I want us to consider is Satan's deception. That's the first things we see. Verse 1 to 5. 
It says that the serpent was more cunning. You see, the serpent comes to them and says, has God indeed said? I want to suggest to you that this is the same trick the enemy used to us to get us to sin. Once the enemy causes you to doubt the word of God, he's had a foothold in your life and he's getting you to the, uh, you know, getting you closer and closer to sin. Satan cast a doubt on what God has said. Has God indeed said? So then, you know, Eve starts thinking, hmm, what, has, what has God told me? Is this what truly God says you should do? Has God truly told you not to eat of the fruit? But you see, the response of Eve is very fascinating. He, you know, Eve says that um, God says all the trees I should not eat. He says that of the tree of the good and evil, he has said you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. You see, Eve even added something to it. Nor shall you touch it. But when we read and we realize what God, command God gave, he didn't add that, that you shall not touch it. You see, Sometimes we start to add things to what God has said and it makes our life unbearable. And if you add anything to what God has said that is not there, it becomes a burden for you. You see, there are so many things in this world because of culture, the culture that we find ourselves in, we have made some additions to the word of God. And we realize that we struggle with those things. And for most of the time, it is those additions that we struggle with, not necessarily the, the word of God itself. But what Satan accomplished was that he casted doubt on the word of God, and that led Eve to uh, believe in, her, in his lies. Sin is a change of pers perspective. Sin, change of perspective. You see, there's a statement that goes that, you know, seeing is believing. But, I, you know, when it comes to matters of faith, it is the opposite. It's believing is seeing. Once you believe something, you begin to see it. And so the first thing the enemy will cause you to do is to believe in his lie. And once you believe in the lie, you begin to see it. You see, the, the interesting thing is that, you see, the, you see the, 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 when the enemy casted doubts on the word of God and Eve believed it. It says that now he saw that the tree was good for food. Something that she had already said that God said I shouldn't eat it and she added her own thing. He said I shouldn't even touch it. Now, the very abominable thing, the very thing that she can't even go near or touch, now it is pleasing and it is good for food. You see, once you believe in the lies of the Satan, even the abominable thing, the thing you can never, you know, becomes appealing to you. You know, there are certain things when we are growing up, our parents will tell us certain things or we, we learn certain things and we tell ourselves, I will never, that's for this one, I will never do it. Me, I will never do this. Me, ah, no, 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 that's not me. You know, there are certain things that you hear people say, this person did this, this person did that, and you sit down, look at yourself and say, me, ah, no, 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 that's not me. There's no way I'll do it. But you see, when you start believing in the lies of the enemy, even the abominable thing becomes appealing to you. That is what has happened to many people in the world. The abominable thing, the things that are abominable, now it is appealing to them. And now they crave it 
the things that God had said they shouldn't do, that is what they do. You see, not realizing the truth about God's word makes you prone to sin. And so that's why it's very important that we understand what God has said in his word. You see, the Bible says, you know, in the verse 5, it says that the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open. Uh, um, no, the enemy says, verse 5, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. But the question I ask myself is that, weren't they already like God? The enemy comes and tells them, oh, God is hiding something from you because he knows when you eat it, you will be like God. But they were already like God. God had made them in his image, in his likeness. They were like God. But because they didn't realize the truth about themselves, they didn't realize the truth about God's word, about the truth of what God had made them, they were prone to the lies of the enemy. Beloved, if you don't know the truth about who God has made you, you will listen to the deceptions of the enemy. The enemy will provide something that you already have. You see, that's the same trick the enemy tried to use on Jesus. He says, I'll give you all the treasures of the world. I'll give you everything. Meanwhile, Jesus already had everything because out of him were everything created. There was nothing that was created without him. And so, beloved, you see, the enemy comes to you, I will give you riches. If you take this corner, I will give you this. If you, if you, if you sin, I will give you this. As young men, young women, if, if you sin, that's when I'll give you the, the husband that you want. If you sin, that is when I'll give you the wife that you want. But God already said that he will provide for us. That we should trust in him. And so, so this all suggests to us that if we don't know the truth about ourselves. You see, there's an there's analogy I usually use for this about knowing who you are. You see, consider of, of, of a man. I don't know. I think we all, I don't know, many of us might know the story of Troy. Of watch the movie of Troy. This man who, when he was born... Um, there, there was a, uh, one of the priests told them that you know, the, the son will bring calamity upon them and so they should kill him. And so they were so afraid they didn't want to kill him so they decided to banish him and throw him away. And somebody who was somewhere picked him. So to cut the story short, this man who was born as a prince grew up in a household of a slave. And so all his activities were like that of a slave. And so finally, later on, when they realized, when the king realized that this was his son, grew up about 20, 30 years, and now he brings him back to the kingdom. The man never acted like a prince. He was always acting like the son of a slave. You see, until you realize who you are, you won't act like who you are. God has made that in his image. God has rescued us out of the hands of the enemy. And he has clothed that in his glory. But until you realize who you truly are in Christ, you will live like anyhow. The reason why many Christians are living their life, they are Christians all right. But the reason why they are living anyhow is that they don't know who they are. They don't know who they are. I pray that today, the Lord will open your eyes to who you truly are so that you will live your life accordingly. Amen. What the world offers. Verse 6 
So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its food and ate. So she gave it to her husband with her, and he ate. You see, when we read 1 John 2, verse 16, the Bible says that for all that is in the world, the last of the flesh, the last of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. You see, fast forward from Genesis to 1 John, John is writing his letter, and he's saying that for all that is in the world. But you see, when you go to Genesis 3, 6, and you compare these things, you realize that what the world offers has not changed. From Genesis to John, when John was writing, what the world offered had not changed. You see, uh, um, John says, for the last of the flesh, the first thing that Eve says is that it is good for food. What is food? Something that pleases the body. Last of the flesh. Pleasing to the body. And so today, many people in this world want to do things, just the things that feel good. Oh, doesn't it feel good? Doesn't it feel good to do this? We, we, we are creatures where we, 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 uh, you know, we call it you know, hedonism. We, we are pleasures. We seek, we seek pleasures. All that we are doing are things that please our bodies. That's the only thing we care about, to please our bodies. And that's what the enemy offers us. The enemy offers us things that the last of the flesh, that our flesh will last after. The second one he says is the last of the eyes. You see, the, the, Eve says that, the next thing that Eve says is that what? It was uh, 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 pleasant to the eyes. It was good for food. It was pleasant to the eyes. The last of the eyes. There are some people, whatever they see, they want. And they will do whatever they, they, they can do to get what they, what they want. That's the last of the eyes. You are feasting on the eyes for your own pleasures. The last one, the pride of life. You see, he says, it is desirable to make one wise. I, I want to be like God. Yeah, I, I, I want to rise to that level of God. Pride. The pride of life. Pride of life. So many things, so many people are filled with pride. And the many things that they are doing, Satan is just puffing up their pride, their ego, egomaniacs. These are the three ways the enemy presents to us. And I suggest to you that every sin in this world is categorized under these three things. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride, the pride of life. And so you see, many people tend to tell us that the world has changed. And so the solution to the problem of man has changed. But I'm here to tell you, man hasn't changed. What moved man in the Garden of Eden is the same thing that moves us now. Man hasn't changed. God hasn't changed. The Bible says that God remains the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so if God hasn't changed and man hasn't changed, then the solution that God gave to man in the, in the garden is the same solution that God offers to us now. Genesis 2, verse 16 to 17. The Bible says that, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, 
but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. This is where God gave the command. So man in a perfect environment couldn't keep the basic command of God. God was trying to teach us something from this little thing. And that, that's, that, this lesson that God was trying to teach is something we see expanded throughout the Old Testament. Law and salvation. Was law or is law ever the way that God purposed for salvation to come? And the answer is no. You see, God gave them a command, but they couldn't resist the power of sin. They couldn't resist the power of the enemy. And so when the enemy brought his deception, they obeyed, and then they fell, and they sinned. And so if man, in a perfect environment, wasn't able to keep the commands of God, how much more us, who are in a fallen world, who have even sin living in our members. The Apostle Paul teaches that sin, we have sin living in our members. Adam and Eve didn't have sin living in their members, yet they still couldn't keep the command of God. So how much more we, who have sin living in our members, how can we? Let us read Romans chapter five, uh, 7. It's a very fascinating thing when you want to really understand the, the relationship between law and grace. Romans chapter 7 is a very interesting um, chapter to read, but we won't read everything. We will just read from verse 5 to verse 12. Verse 5, For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. 6, But, we, but now we have been developed from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law, for I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said you shall not covet. Verse 8. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. Verse 10, and the command which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it killed me. Therefore, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and just, and good. So the question you ask yourself is that, was it good that God would give Adam and Eve a command? You see, Paul is answering here that the law or the command is perfect, and is holy, it's spiritual. But what it is is that, you see, the same thing that is happening to us is the same thing that happened to Adam and Eve. It says that, but sin, taking occasion of the command, produced every sinful desire in me. It means that, you see, when he's talking about sin here, he says that sin took occasion of the law and used that to kill me. The same way the enemy took occasion of the command that God had given to Adam and Eve, and brought death to mankind. And so the law is never a way to salvation. As a matter of fact, we, we can never keep the law. You see, the moment you make a law, that's when evil desires springs up in you. 
the example that I use is that, you know, you eat healthy, right? Just normally you are eating, you just find yourself to be eating healthy and you are doing well. But the day you tell yourself, I'm going on a diet, when you go through that shop, that's where you see all your desire can be to you. <laughs> the, the very things you didn't even want to eat, now you want to eat them. The, 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 the same analogy, I, I can use this, fasting. You can wake up in the morning and you go through the whole day without eating and you are fine. And you realize, ah, I haven't eaten, it's 3 p.m. and I haven't eaten. I mean, you work, 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 work. Before you realize, ah, I haven't even eaten the whole day. And you are fine. But the day you tell yourself you are fasting, that's the way every evil desire springs out to you. You see, your body wages war with you. The law is never a way to salvation. And this is the lesson that God was teaching them about Adam and Eve, even in the garden. That, you see, if, and as I said, Adam in a perfect environment couldn't keep the law, then we in the fallen world cannot keep the commands of God. It was God's way. So now you might ask yourself, then what is the importance of the law? Let us read um, Galatians 3. The Apostle Paul gives us a great understanding of why then was the law given. Galatians chapter 3, verse 23 to 25. It says that, but before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. So all that he's saying that, you see, it, it was a tutor. The law was just to keep us for salvation. The law was to tell us and to make us realize that there's no way we can keep the commands of God apart from God. There's no way that through the law we can be saved. So that when, so, you know, it, it was supposed to bring us down, make us realize our sinful nature, so that when God reveals his perfect solution to man through Jesus Christ, we will cling to it and say, I, I can never do it. And now there's a free righteousness given to me. I will cling to it because there's no way I can attain righteousness without God. Also, it was to teach us or, or, or to show us the exceedingly sinfulness of man. That's how the apostle Paul puts it the exceedingly sinfulness of man. To make you realize how truly sinful you are. You see, the Bible gives an analogy. How, you know, unto him, much is forgiven. The same person loves much. And unto him, little is forgiven. The person loves little. When you read Luke chapter 7, it's a very interesting thing that um, um, we might not be able to read or... Luke chapter 7, verse 40 to 47. Uh, I will summarize it. So there, there was a, when, when a, man, a, a woman came to Jesus, Jesus went under the invitation of a Pharisee, and a woman came. And the Bible says that the woman cried and wiped the feet of Jesus Christ in tears and broke the alabaster box and wiped it. And the disciples were kind of furious about it. And, and the Pharisees was like, if you knew who is wiping your feet, you would have told her not to stop. Right, and Jesus says, give them, ask Peter and give them a parable. That suppose a king, and I'm paraphrasing here, suppose a king, two people owe a king, one owes 500 and one owes five, whatever it is. 
And the king says, today, I'm going to forgive all of you. Whatever you owe me, I'll forgive you. Who do you suppose will love the king more? And Peter says, I suppose the person who we are forgiving 500. And he says, yes. And then he goes on again and explains this a little bit further. And he says, you see, this woman, although his sin is great, because she has been forgiven, that's why he's loving me this much. Unto him, or who, much is forgiven, the person loves much. And unto him, little is forgiven. And so God was making us understand how sinful, how sinful we are, so that when he provides his way of salvation, we will really truly love him, because he has forgiven us much. And in the same way, I, I suggest to you that if you don't truly understand how sinful you are and how God's way of salvation has saved you from your sin, you, your, your devotion to God is not really high. And I'll tell you, you know, the reason why many of us, our zeal, our zeal for God is not high, our love for God is not deep, is because we don't think God has forgiven us much. And I see this very often in people, especially who grew up in the church. For most of us, we think that the sins that we have done is so little, small, small sins, petty sins. Because in this world, we categorize sin. We have the big sins and the small sins. And so, so long as I'm not murdering, I'm not drinking, I'm not smoking, I'm not doing all those bad things that people are doing, I'm not, you know, I, mean, I sin, I tell lies here and there. It's not a big deal. I'll pray to God, you'll forgive me. That is, you're not realizing how much sinful you are and how much it took for Christ to wipe away your sin. Compare that with somebody who has gone out in the world, who has done all these things, and the person accepts Christ. You see their devotion to God. It's like there's an eagerness to go to God because they realize who they were. They realize the life that they were living and the, how much the, the, the grace of God had covered them and had saved them and rescued them. You see, and we see that in the prayers, even of the Pharisee and the task collector or the Gentile. He says, thank God I'm not like this man. I pray every day, I do this. In other words, he's not even realizing his sin. And the same thing can be seen in the prodigal, the, 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 the lost sons. You see, the lost sons. The person who was stained, you were both sinners. But you see, because the younger son went out there and did all of that, when he came and he realized how much, you see, he didn't expect to receive that much from his father. But when his father clothed him and he said, put on the best clothes, let us, let us kill the fattened calf and give to him. His love and devotion to God was huge. And you see, this elder brother was angry and mad, mad about the whole thing. And he said, I'm not even going to go into my father's house. I'm going to remain outside. You see, if you don't realize how sinful you are, if you think that the things that you do are petty, petty sins, your devotion and your love to God will not be as great because you don't realize, you don't really value the salvation of God. You don't really value the grace of God because eh, he, didn't, he didn't really do much for me. He just did a little bit. He just forgave me a little bit. But if you realize the depth of your sin and how much God has forgiven you, and so if you want anything, motivation for you to really go to God and build your relationship, well, look at your sin <laughs> and put your sin before you and realize how much God has saved you. Praise the Lord. I took a little detour, but let's go back to 
Genesis. Man's solutions, verse 7. The eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. You see, in verse 25 of chapter 2, the Bible says that, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. They had already always been naked. But you see, God had clothed them with his glory. And because of that, they were not ashamed. But when sin stepped in the picture, shame brought, came up. Shame. Instead of man going to God for his perfect solution, they decided to create solutions for themselves. And so they made fig leaves and covered their nakedness. You see, I asked myself, of all the newfound wisdom that man had found because he had obeyed the enemy, because the enemy promised them wisdom. The enemy promised them knowledge that you get to know more, right? And so with their all newfound wisdom that they've had, the only thing they could think about was to make leaves as coverings for themselves. It was when God came in that he told them that you can actually make clothing from animal skin. Man's wisdom is foolishness before God. Beloved, what are you trying to use to cover the shame of sin? You see, the Bible says that when God came in, in verse 8 to 10, when they heard God coming, the Bible says that man hid. They ran away to hide. And when God asked them, why, where are you? They said that we, we heard you coming and we were afraid for we were naked. But hold on. Weren't there these same people who have clothed and covered themselves with fig leaves? So even with the covering that he had made, they still felt shame. Beloved, nothing can take away the shame of sin. There's nothing that you can devise, you can do to take away the shame of sin. Because, you see, in the presence of God, every fig leaf is blown away. They talk, you see, man thinks, the same thing we see in the world. Man thinks that he has, he has found a perfect solution to his problems. And so they don't need God. Many people who are walking around in the world thinking that we don't need God. We are good. We are, the, we are masters of our souls. We can do whatever we want. But in the presence of God, all this is blown away and it's filled with fear. And so the reason why these people cannot approach God is that they are afraid of God. Why? Because they realize their nakedness. And so the nakedness and the shame that they felt wasn't just some superficial fame, shame that they can just cover with some fig leaves. It was a deep-seated shame that only one thing, only one thing could take away. Beloved, what are you using to cover the shame of sin that you feel? When you sin, shame comes your way. What are you using to cover it? You know, there are some people, they are trying to use riches, riches. They are like, if only I can amass wealth. The more money I can get, I can be able to control whatever I want. And so they have all the money they have. They pay therapists to go sit and tell them, to, to, for their therapists to tell them, you are good. Oh, you are not doing anything bad. That is okay. That is all right. Yet they come home and they still feel miserable. Wealth and riches, whatever the world offers, cannot cover the shame of sin. Are you feeling ashamed right now? Is there something that you have done? Are you running away from God? You see, you can be sitting here, but you are running away from God. 
It doesn't matter your location. It doesn't matter. You see, as a matter of fact, many people use religion as fig leaves to cover themselves. They are like, if I show to church every Sunday, everybody will know I'm great. Everybody will know I'm doing well. But when you go in your closet, the things that you do, you feel ashamed. And because you are naked, that is where all the self-worth issues comes in. Deep within yourself, you start to, you start to ask yourself, who am I? You are realizing all the, inse- all the insecurities begin to bubble up in you and begin to spring forth. Because you are naked. You are not covered. Beloved, what are you using as covering? Some people, fame, fame. All they are trying to do is for fame. They're like, if only everybody out there will applaud me, if everybody will hold me on a high pedestal, then I can be able to be good. I I can feel good about myself. I can be happy. I can receive some joy. But beloved, joy cannot come with fame. It only comes when you submit yourself under the authority of God. What are you using to cover yourself? Most of us, academic accomplishments, success in our workplace, and so we only feel good so long as we are being promoted and we are getting higher and higher on the academic ladder and, and, and our job and we are getting successful, then we feel good about ourselves. But you know, you will be applauded by men. That night that they are celebrating you, you are all excited and happy. But the moment you come home and you close the door and everybody else and you, you, you take away your clothes and you lie in bed, you see the self-worth issues start coming back again. Because you are naked. What are you using to cover yourself? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sin? Oh, nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Oh, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow. Oh, that makes me white as snow. Oh, no, other found I know. Oh, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Beloved, God appeared to them in the garden. Beloved, God will appear. No matter what, God will appear. You will face God. See, these people thought they had, they, they had made covering, and so they are going to hide. But you see, in the cool of the day, God appeared. Beloved, God is appearing to you through this word today. Beloved, if you are not with confidence approaching God, that means that there is something that you have done that is separating you and God. You see, in other days, God will come in the cool of the day and with joy, they will go and and meet God. But right now, because of sin, it has separated them from God and so God is coming and man is running away. Beloved, it is only the blood of Christ that can wash away the sins of the world. 
And so God calls out to them. Verse 9. And so asks to Adam, where are you? Beloved, God's call is coming to you right now. Where are you? Where are you? Are you hiding from God? Where are you? Have you made some coverings for yourself? Where are you in your journey? Where are you in your spiritual growth? You see, the call of God was a personal call. He said, where are you? Adam. He called to Adam. There were two people there, but he first started with Adam. He says, where are you, Adam? He didn't just make a general call. God is not making a general call to you. He is calling you by name today. Where are you right now? Where are you standing? What are you doing with your life? Are you hiding from God? Or with confidence you approach God? You see, the Bible says that if our conscience doesn't condemn us, with confidence we approach the throne room of God. Is your conscience condemning you this morning? Where are you? God's call is personal. He's putting your name there. Where are you? He's calling out to you. God's call was not only personal, but it was a present call. As if to say, where are you now? He's like, where are you? As if to say, where are you now? It's a present call. Where are you now? You might be sitting here, but the question is that spiritually, where are you now? Where are you? It's a present call. God doesn't care too much about things that you have done in the past. Oh yes, you were a great servant of God in the past. You did many great things. And it, it doesn't matter if you even prayed for, for the dead to rise back again. But today, this morning, the call of God is coming to you. Where are you? There are so many people who, who are looking to past glories. Past glories. That's all they care about. Past glories. I used to do this. I used to do that. Do you know who I am? I am this. I am this. Do you know what I used to do? Oh, no, no, no. That's not what God is concerned about right now. God is concerned about you right now. Where are you? God is not just even only interested in your intellectual uh, knowledge of him. He doesn't care about your knowledge your, of him if that knowledge is not seeping in your heart. Where are you? Where is your heart posture? It's not about the knowledge. You can recite all the tenets of the church. You have all the right doctrines. When I ask you every question, you can answer me right. But no, no, that's not what I'm asking. Where are you? Where is your heart? Is your heart in the right place? God's call is a personal call. God's call is a present call. Right now, take stock of your life. Think about the journey, the Christian walk, and where are you? Have you given your life to Christ? But your walk has been a roller coaster. Goes up and down, up and down, up and down. Or you haven't even truly given your life to Christ. Maybe you grew up in a church, you did everything. You see, many people, they go with the flow. But as I said, God's call is a personal call. He's not calling what the church is doing. It's not so much concerned about the church in general, what everybody is doing. But he's, he's concerned about you. There are so many people, they only pray when the church is praying on Sunday. When they come on Sunday and everybody is praying, then they are praying. When they come to church and we say, open the Bible and read this, they've opened it and they are reading. But when they go out of the church, they don't do any of those things. When a church is going to evangelism, you join them and you go. But you yourself, personally, where, what are you doing? What are you doing? Where are you? It's a personal call. It's not about joining the crowd and doing everything the crowd is doing. It's about you, your personal devotion with God. Where is that personal devotion? God is calling you this morning. We read from verse 14 to 19, we see the consequence and the judgment of sin. Adam and Eve sin. God is a just God. 
and God must punish him. And so, you know, Romans 6 and 3 says, For the wages of sin is death, and the gift of God is eternal life. They sin. You see, God told them, when you eat of this, you will die. You will surely die. And they ate of it. But, you know, you know ask, some people ask, did they die? Did God lie? Because they ate it and they were still alive. So did they die? But you see, the death, the death came in three ways. So we have what we call the spiritual death. That is immediate. Immediate. And so the moment they sinned, they were out of fellowship with God. Their spirit was dead. And so when, Jesus, when God came and called out to them, they were hiding. Because now they are afraid of God. Why? Because the spirit that enabled them to have that communion, direct communication with God and fellowship with God is not there anymore. And so they, they died spiritually. The second one was a progressive death, moral death, moral death. And so morally, they died. See, uh, uh, St. Augustine explained this in this way. He, he used the Latin term, posse non peccare, which means power not to sin. That was the initial state of man. Man was created, created posse non peccare, power not to sin. So they had the power to overcome sin. But they listened to the enemy and then they sinned. But when they sinned, you know, he put it this way. They became posse peccari, which means the power to sin or the inability not to sin. So now man has gone from a place where he had power and control over sin to a state where now he doesn't have control over sin anymore. And so the moment we go from Genesis chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6, we start seeing the, the nature of man show up. All the many things they start doing. Because now... Man without God doesn't have the ability to not sin. And so, you see, God gave us power and control and ability over sin. But because of the fall, moral nature, we don't have that ability anymore outside of Christ. And then the last thing was physical death. God never created man to die physically. It wasn't the intention of man. And so when we read... Uh, uh, Genesis chapter 6 when he continues, he says that my spirit will not contend with man forever. And so man will live 120 years. 25. <laughs> so God, now death has come. Spiritual death, moral death, physical death. You see, but God brought his solution. In verse 15, he says that I'll put enmity between you know, your, your seed, the woman, and the, and the serpent. And, and, and when we read verse 21, it also says that, and, and Adam and his wife, the Lord made tunics of skin and covered them. And so God's solution came to man, where God clothed them again. You see, all the fig leaves were thrown away. And it's only God's solution that can stand. But even in that, God had promised his ultimate salvation to man. But God made immediate provision for them. So there was God's ultimate plan and his immediate action. His immediate action was to make tunics. And you know, although the, 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 the Bible doesn't explicitly say this in this chapter 3, but you know, many people have argued that breaking tunics means God had to kill a lamb in order to make the tunics for them. But you know, when we read throughout the Old Testament, we realize that God, you know, lambs and goats were being sacrificed there and there. That was, that, you know, it was never the intention for that to wipe away sin. That was God's immediate solution. Preparing us for his ultimate solution, which was the blood of Jesus Christ. And so Hebrews 10, 4, it says, For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. 
but it's only the precious blood of Christ that can wash away our sins and take away our sins. And so when you read uh, Romans 5, 12 to 17, it makes the comparison between Adam, the first man, and Jesus Christ, the second man. And so just as through one man sin came into the world, through one man, grace and righteousness and life has come into the, to the world. And so just as one man, Adam, because of Adam, everybody who has come after, under Adam is dead and has no spiritual life. But because of one man, Jesus Christ, who was able to be able to compare and, 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 and fulfill all the commands of God. He never broke any command of God. You see, he was created in, in like manner. You know, he had all the emotions for we do not have an high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who, who, who went through all the things that we went through yet was without sin. So that now, because of the work, because of he has attained righteousness, he's the only one who could attain righteousness. And because he has attained that righteousness, he gave that righteousness to us as a free gift. And he calls all men that if you accept and believe in his name, you will receive this righteousness. That is the solution of man. And so just as death came in three ways, life comes in three ways. You see, death came immediately. Spiritual death. And so the spiritual life comes immediately. And so the moment you accept Jesus Christ, the Bible says that you have been regenerated. You are born again. It is your spirit that is regenerated. Your spirit is made alive again. And now your spirit can communicate with God and have fellowship with God again. Immediate. And just as the moral, the privity of man was progressive. You see, the moral life that you receive is also progressive. And so we have what we call progressive sanctification. He is renewing that each and every day. Each and every day. That's why our journey with God is not one and done. It's a continuous process each and every day. Each and every day. He is sanctifying us and he is renewing us each and every day. And so now, just as man, God has restored us to the original uh, creation, which was, you know, posse non pecare, ability not to sin. Now God has restored us again. So now we have the power not to sin anymore. Just as Adam had the ability to overcome sin, now he has given us that ability again. He has restored that ability. So now we have the ability to overcome sin. And so the, the Bible says that put to death the desires of the flesh. Put to death. When he says, he, he says put, it's not that he's going to do it for you. He says put to death. Why? Because you have the power in your hands. And through the spirit, now, unlike Adam, who didn't have the spirit, the Holy Spirit to help them, now we have the Holy Spirit who is present with us each and every day, who can help us to be able to walk the walk and all the, 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 the things that Adam couldn't do now, because of the Holy Spirit in us, we can be able to accomplish them. Physical life, that's our ultimate goal. And so the Bible says that everybody who is born will not taste death. Everybody who is born again, who is a Christian, will not taste death. Because Christ tasted that once and for all, so that we will never taste death. And so anytime you see, the, the Bible is very uh, uh, conscious of this. He will say that they are asleep. Anytime Jesus will go to a place, they are asleep. He is asleep. He is not dead. Lazarus is just asleep. He is not dead. Somebody who is dead for three days, but Jesus says, no, no, no. He is not asleep. He is not dead. He is just asleep. Why? Because as for us in Christ, we only sleep. We don't die. Because in the resurrection, he will rise us again. That we will meet him. And so the Bible says that, you know, outside of the body, present with the Lord. And he says that all, all us who have, that, that even us, 
we, we groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption of our bodies, the salvation of our bodies. And so we are groaning within ourselves. We have sin living in our members now, but oh, no, no, God has given us the power to overcome this, but he is preparing us for one day where he will be able to resurrect our bodies, that he will give us life again, eternal life, that we'll be able to attain the stature of Christ. He says that we don't know what we will be like, but we know that when, we are, when he appears, we shall be like him, for we will see him as he is. Beloved, God is preparing us for salvation. And he will come again. He will come again. And he will come and, and carry us all again. Beloved, right now, where are you? God is calling out to you. God is calling out to you. You know, when you don't face God today, you see, God called Adam to face him right now. Because if you don't face God in this world, you will, be, you will face him in eternity. But you know, you know what? This world, this is when salvation is here. Salvation is now and is present in this world. In that day when you die, there's no, there's no opportunity again. So, so right now, so face God. Come out of your hiding place. Wherever you are hiding, come out. Come out and meet God and face God that you receive a salvation today so that in eternity you'll be able to spend it with him. What can wash away our sin? Nothing but the blood. Let us all rise to our feet. Of Jesus. Oh, what can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood.